Hey guys, Lucas Cursor here at Method Ministries, and welcome back to another episode. And today I'm going to talk about John Wesley's eschatology. And I want to make this video because, one, it's it's a really interesting study learning what John Wesley believes about eschatology. And I say that not because he's just your typical um, you know, millennial uh, category of whether he's in a post-mill or a pre-mill, but he has a different millennial view than any other person that I heard of. In fact, there were other people who believed it, and I'll even talk about where he got his unique millennial view. But it was fun studying that and just understanding how he viewed the end times and specifically Revelation chapter 20, because I wanted to find out, was John Wesley a post-millennialist or was he a premillennialist? So that's what I wanted to find out because, you know, some people say he was a pre-mill. Some people say he was a post-mill. But in fact, what I learned was that he is neither. So stick around and find out what is John Wesley's eschatology view and is John Wesley a pre-mill or a post-mill? Okay, so before I start this video, there's two books that I recommend that if you want to do a further study and just understand this a little bit more. And this is where what, uh, what helped me learn uh, better is, you know, what John Wesley believed on, on this. And the first one is um, Joy of Heaven to Earth. If you can see it, Joy of Heaven to Earth Come Down. That was by Robert B. Brown. And I think I think this might have been actually a dissertation made into a book. You can find it on, on, on Amazon. It is, I, I think it, it's not the cheapest of what I remember. I mean, it's not too expensive, but for what it was, it was a little more on the pricey side. And I think that's because it wasn't so popular. So maybe he just jacked the price up a little bit. And it seemed like if I don't, if memory serves me correctly, it was a dissertation paper. And the second book um, I recommend is The Second Coming. This is a Wesleyan approach to the doctrine of the last things by H. Ray Dunning. You can see it gets still got my bookmark there because I'm still working. Oops, <laughs> just lost my page. I'm still working through this book. But it does talk and talk about John Wesley's eschatology view and if he was a pre-mill or post-mill. So let's answer the question. So, so which one was John Wesley? Well, the answer is if you go by his study notes, he was neither. John Wesley was neither a post-mill or a pre-mill. Instead, John Wesley was a dual millennialist. Have you ever heard that term? Dual millennialism. So it means exactly what it what it what the title says. John Wesley held that there were two millennial reigns or two millennial periods in Revelation 20. And it's important to understand this because I um I see both people in both camps, or maybe you know, even not in, in a you know specific millennial camp, but they usually associate John Wesley with this eschatology group or that eschatology group. And sometimes, you know, you know, that can be because you know we're zealous for our eschatology. We want we want uh, the people or our, our, our heroes of the faith, or even other people in history, you know, famous men of God, to be, you know, vouching for our camp. And then we use them to bolster, boast, bolster, <laughs> bolster our credentials and, you know, validate our eschatology systems. But now that I know the truth, I don't appreciate or I don't like, I should say, I don't want to use too, too harsh of a word, but I don't like when I see people saying John Wesley was a pre mill. I don't like when I see people saying John Wesley was a post mill. I um, I kind of cringe now because I know it's actually just not the case at all. And all you have to do is just read John Wesley's study notes. They're free. You can ask um, access them online. So 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 you know you don't have to you know pay a penny, and you can just go to Revelation chapter twenty and just read how he interprets that, and what he believes about Revelation twenty, what he believes about the millennial kingdom. That's all you have to do. It's really easy. And if you do, you will find that John Wesley held that there were two 
millennial periods. So if you like me, uh, you might, you know, the first time hearing this, it might sound very foreign to you. Like what in the world is John Wesley talking about? You know, where does he get two millennial periods for crying out loud? But he does have his reasons for it. And um, it even challenged me to figure out, okay, well, you know, am I not seeing that? Like, is that the case? You know, um, uh, when I hear views, I want to test it by the scripture and see, see if it holds up, you know, and try to test its consistencies. So I, um, I, you know, I wanted to try and that required me first to understand, well, why does John Wesley believe this? What is he arguing? And he does have arguments and I'll go over those shortly. But to give you the background to this, so John Wesley was influenced by Johann Johan, Johan, Johan Bengel. So he was influenced and relied heavily on Johan Bengel. If you don't know who he is, I learned all about him from John Wesley, and he actually mentions this in his notes and in the book of Revelation. So John Wesley notes that Johan Bengel, in, uh, you know, not only influenced him, but he thought that he had a wonderful commentary on understanding what Revelation is talking about. And so he got this view of two millennial periods from Johann Bengel. Johann Bengel was not a Methodist. He wasn't a Wesleyan. He was actually a Lutheran theologian. And he wrote a commentary on the New Testament, you know, which obviously includes the book of Revelation. And by the way, um, I've actually been using his, his commentary, uh, that is Johann Bengel's a lot. Not just on uh, uh, in Revelation, but even throughout you know the entire New Testament, and it's actually it's it's really really good, and it's actually one of my favorite commentaries right now. So you know I'm trying to to get away from modern com modern commentaries, and just see how people you know um, in the 17th 18th century understood theology in the Bible, and um, I find out you know or I'm finding out that it's very you know much much more richer than, than contemporary commentaries. You know I feel like they had a better understanding of theology back then, and they were they were just deeper. And it kind of helps to, um, you know, I guess get get me out of my modern um, evangelical background bubble that that I you know I grew up in with with uh, theology and especially eschatology. So um, you know, if you're listening, I recommend actually you you uh, go online. You can do the same thing with John Wesley notes. Um, we go online and you can uh, find Johann Bengel's commentary notes. They're free. So just like John Wesley notes are free, so is Johann Bengel's. You just got to type in. And, Google Johann Bengel commentary on, on the Bible and it will pop up and you can see what Johann believed about you know this verse, but in particular it, with this video, Revelation 20. So Johann Bengel is the man that influenced, inspired, and what John Wesley went to for understanding the book of Revelation. And they argue that there's two millennial periods. Now, I do need to mention though, okay, that John Wesley like Johann Bengel and like pretty much everybody, pretty much everybody in that time frame that, you know, the 17th century, probably even earlier too. Um, but, you know, I, I think even going to the 18th century, but in that 17th century, pretty much every Christian held to an historic view of, of the book of Revelation or uh, an historicist approach to the book of Revelation. So like now, you know, many uh, modern Christians today, you know, Christians living in the 21st century, you know, and late 20th century, they are, when it comes to the book of Revelation, they're futurists. So they believe and understand the book of Revelation to be talking about future events. So historicists or historicism understands the book of Revelation as prophecy gradually unfolding throughout time. So that's what you need to know about historicism. Historicism sees the events in the book of Revelation 
as gradually unfolding throughout time, accumulating in the return of Jesus Christ. So that's why, you know, if you view their commentaries, they have, um, you know, when you go to like Revelation 9 or 10 or 11, they say, okay, 9 was about this period of time. 10 was about this period of time. 11 was about this period of time. So it's, it's unfolding throughout history. And there actually is a case to be made for this. I don't hold to historicism. I hold to, you know, some parts of the Bible I do believe are, uh, are to be understood, um, you know, through a, an historic lens. That is, again, they, they're, they're about uh, um, events gradually unfolding rather than just events one moment in time. So think of Daniel's 70th week, if you know what I'm talking about, if you really know your, know your, your eschatology. Daniel's 70th week is a prophecy of about 490 years. Now, whether you believe that the 70th week is fulfilled or is going to be fulfilled, if you just look at that prophecy as a whole, it's, 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 it's telling Daniel there are 70 weeks determined here. And 70 weeks, scholars would tell you, are 490 years because each week is seven years. So seven times 70 is 490. But you have 490 years. So rather than a prophetic um, one-time event in history, it's about a prophecy that will gradually unfold in history. And speaking of the book of Daniel, and um, if you also go go and, and remember in Daniel, um, testament memory right now, Daniel chapter 7, where he sees, no, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 2 through 4, he sees the, um, the vision of the, uh, the statue, of the great statue, and this part of the statue, this part of the statue, that part of the statue, is uh, representing um, kingdoms in the world that exist. And it goes through like Greece all the way to Rome. You know, it starts with, um, or, or, or uh, it includes, you know, Greece, Rome, um, you know, you know, Babylon. So that statue is representing kingdoms, not in one moment of time, but gradually unfolding in time. So you had uh, um, you had the the you know period of of the kingdom of Greece, the period of the kingdom of Rome. And again, this is prophecy, but not one moment in time, but gradually unfolding in time. And so they understand the entire book of Revelation like this, starting from chapters 1 all the way to 22. So that's the backdrop to John Wesley's view, as well as Johann Bengel, and as well as pretty much every theologian that you, that you can come across. And one, one significant feature of historicism, okay, and probably, probably the most popular aspect of it is that they believe the antichrist in revelation 13 is the papal system so they believe that the antichrist is the roman religion and and um the the pope is the antichrist so you know not just one pope because there were many popes but the pope is the antichrist or the papal system papal system i, I may be saying that wrong the papal system, papal system, <laughs> um, they're the Antichrist. So they interpret the Catholic religion to be the religion of the Antichrist. And they, and they interpret the first be beast in Revelation 13 to be the Pope or the current reigning Pope. And then the second beast is the political uh, aspect of the Catholic religion. Think the Vatican, you know, there's a Vatican City there, you know, there's politics involved. So that's the, the, the famous part, the, the famous feature and probably one of the most significant you know, uh, aspects of historicism that they believe Revelation 13 is speaking about the Catholic Church. And they'll argue from the point of the Reformation when, you know, during that time period, 
the Catholic Church was was heavily persecuting Christianity, and you know doing horrible things to you know to Christians, and you know you can kind of just understand you know how they they viewed it once you know you know you you, you, know, you look back and see how much the Roman Catholic Church persecuted you know Christianity, and, you know, and, and just look at like the whole Reformation and Martin Luther and the whole battle. So um, historicism understands Revelation 13 to be talking about and fulfilled in the Roman Catholic Church and the current reigning Pope. So rather than Revelation 13 being one moment in time, it's trans-historical in that it doesn't just refer to one period of time, but it transcends time in the sense of it goes from this century to this century. So it's, it's beyond just the 42 months as Revelation 13 talks about. I figured somebody who watches the video is going to be very interested in, uh, in eschatology. So if I'm not defining my terms and kind of just spitting out facts too too fast. I'm kind of assuming that the person who's clicking on this video just already kind of knows this. If not, just go, you know, do, do a further study or drop a comment. But anyway, so let's go back to um, uh, the topic. So John Wesley, like Johann Bangle, like everybody held to an historic view of Revelation. So this is why when you get to Revelation 20, they don't believe Revelation 20 or understand it in terms of like, like a, a current post-millennialist or an amillennialist where that's that thousand years is covering the entire period of the church history. They believe it's a future event. Now, John Wesley, let me just say this too. John Wesley did not believe that Revelation 19 was the second coming of Christ. That's the first thing I want you to know. John Wesley did not believe that Revelation 13, I'm sorry, Revelation 19 was the second coming of Christ. He believed just like most um classical post-millennialists of the time are Puritan post-millennialists that that was referring to a future time when Christ would defeat the Roman Catholic religion and put down even the the, the uh, Muslim uh, religion then Revelation 19 would follow that chronologically so this would be a, again a a prophecy unfolding gradually throughout time so now when you get to Revelation 20 John Wesley believed that verses 1 through 3 was one period of time and verses 3 four through six was another period of time. All right, guys, so let's look at Revelation 20 and let's see how John Wesley understands and how he would argue for two millennial periods. So the first, first thing that John Wesley would point out is that he would say that um, each millennial period is distinguished from each other. So we have two millennial periods. So we have Satan's millennial period, and then we have the saints' millennial period. Now, you know, John Wesley doesn't specifically argue like that, but I'm just doing that, you know, to, to help you understand what John Wesley believed on that. So verses one through three are their own section of scripture, and verses four through six are their own section of scripture in reference to, to the timing. So we have the first millennial period, which is Satan's binding, and then we have the second millennial period, which is the saints reigning with Christ. Two millennial periods. And John Wesley would point out that each section, each millennial, starts out without the definite article. So take, for example, verse 2. It says that, that Satan is bound for a thousand years. Notice it doesn't say the thousand years. It's a thousand years. So it's a period of time. It does the same in verse 5. It says the rest of the dead... I'm sorry, uh, in verse 4, it says the saints that came to life and reigned with Christ, not for the thousand years, but a thousand years, so a period of time. And then the next time it mentions that that uh, respected millennial period, it does, in fact, use the definite article. 
So take verse five of Revelation 20. It says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So until the thousand years were completed. And it uses the definite article to show that it's speaking to that specific time period. So the thousand years is showing you, hey, I'm speaking to this millennial period. It does the same in verse three. It says, uh, and then then um, after Satan is bound, it says, you know, he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him. So he would deceive the nations, uh, the nations any longer, would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. So John used the, de uh, the definite article to show that he was he's referring to that specific millennial period. So each millennial period starts out without the definite article. And then in in the next, uh, or the next sentence that would mentioned a thousand years, it would use the thousand years to show it's referring to that thousand years, that period of time. So, you know, for us, you know, you, you know, we wouldn't really think much of that. I never, you know, saw it that way at all. John Wesley grabbing from Johann Bengel, which if you haven't noticed, or, you know, if it's not clear, Johann Bengel is John Wesley on Revelation 20. John Wesley is Johann Bengel on Revelation 20. If, if you read Johann Bengel's notes, it's pretty much verbatim. Because John Wesley, again, just pretty much, you know, a lack of a better word, John Wesley just plagiarized Johann Bengel on, on Revelation 20. So, you know, you know, he just pretty much took everything that he said and just taught it exactly like that. So they're pretty much identical. So talk about Wesley is to talk about Bengel when it comes down to the dual millennial view. So that's how they would argue that. They would also argue secondary is that the first millennial period um, terminates at the release of Satan and the second millennial period terminates um, at the general resurrection of the dead. So you, so, so you can see the differences between the two where Satan's millennial period ends when he's released. The saint's millennial period ends at the general resurrection. And it says in verse five, the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So these two are both a period of time and they both end uh, with distinct features of that period of time. And John Wesley would then further argue that there's a benefit to this interpretation. That there's a benefit to this interpretation. He would say that you could affirm both views of the, you know, the post-mill vision, though, though he didn't use a post-mill vision. I'm using that because, you know, we understand millennialism in those, you know, terms. So John Wesley would argue that there's a benefit. So you could understand the prophecies uh, referring to the flourishing of the church and, and the spreading of the gospel as being fulfilled between verses one through three, because Satan is not on the earth. He's not deceiving the nations any longer. So the church has unfederated access to go preach the gospel and have free range of, of God's, God's scripture spreading throughout the land, souls being saved. So that's fulfilling the flourishing of the church. And then verses four through six are fulfilling the, the aspects where the, 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 the days prior to Jesus' return are going to be filled with you know, depravity. Well, well, well why, is, why is that period going to be filled with depravity? Aren't the saints reigning with Christ? Well, they are, but they're not reigning with Christ on the earth, but in heaven. So John Wesley would then have a amillennial view of the saints millennial. So the, the coming to life, John Wesley wouldn't see that as a physical resurrection, but of reigning with Christ in heaven. So all the saints would be with Christ in heaven. And then that would then, then um, you know, again, you know, that would have an amillennial interpretation of Revelation 20, verse 4. And then that would um, fulfill 
the last days being full of depravity. Like like John Wesley actually um, quotes Luke 18, where it says that when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? John, you know, Jesus is saying that, you know, hey, when, you know, you know, he's using a rhetorical um, question to say, hey, when, you know, when I come back, you know, the earth is going to be faithless. Or, you know, think of what Jesus says, you know, when he comes back or prior to the last days, there's, you know, it will be like the days of Noah. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's it, it's possible because the saints aren't on the earth; they're in heaven. So again, John Wesley would would say, "See that you know there's a benefit to holding two millennial periods. You can say the church will flourish. You know, if you want to say the say you know the post mill vision, it's the same thing. That will be fulfilled. The post mill vision will be fulfilled, and also the pre mill view of um you know you know uh, the last days being full of apostasy and degeneracy would be fulfilled. So you would have." both both aspects really um you know i would even argue if you put it all on the table you're going to have a blend of all three millennial periods into this view of dual millennialism because you uh, you had the last day uh, eschatology of premillennialism being fulfilled as well as the uh post-mill flourishing being fulfilled and then the amillennial interpretation of verse four being fulfilled where the saints are reigning with christ in heaven not on the earth so that's that's John Wesley's dual millennialism. Now, where the second coming of Christ comes into this, John Wesley isn't clear. You can read his notes. He, um, he's not clear when Christ comes, though. They both believe that Christ would come after these millennial periods. So in that sense, he's a post-millennialist, not in you know our understanding of post-millennialism, but in the sense of Christ is coming after the millennial period. So post means after. So Jesus would come after these two millennial periods. So that's... That's John Wesley's understanding of these two. And I'll read I'll read his study notes for us too, just to help flesh this out a little bit more. All right, so let me pull up John Wesley's study notes for us. That way we can read a little bit more and try to flesh out how he argues and why he believes in two millennial period. And this is uh, just you know a, uh, a website that you can find online, studylight.org. So the website, just Google John Wesley notes and there's, there's a couple of websites that have his notes for free. And this is his note on verse 4. I'll read the last paragraph. There John Wesley argues for dual, for dual millennialism, and he says, 8,000 years. It must be observed that two distinct thousand years are mentioned throughout this whole passage. Each is mentioned thrice. Thrice is an old English word for three. He says, the thousand wherein Satan is bound, the thousand wherein the, the saints shall reign. The former end before the end of the world, the latter reached to the general resurrection. So that the beginning and end of the former thousand is before the beginning and end of the latter. Therefore, as in the second verse, at the first mention of the former, so in the fourth verse, at the first mention of the latter, it is only said a thousand years, in other places the thousand, that is the thousand mentioned before. During the former, the promises concerning the flourishing state of the church, and then he references Revelation 10.7, shall be fulfilled during the latter while the saints reign with christ in heaven men on earth will be careless and secure so um you know some of those you know words you know maybe a little bit hard to follow because you know you know use a little bit of old old english in there but um it, it, it was again highlighting the, the the distinct periods of time and how each period of time starts out without a definite article and then mentions the set, you know, the second time it mentions the millennial period, it uses the definite article to show that respected time frame. And then the benefit would be that John Wesley could say, I could affirm both the flourishing state of the church 
and the pessimism, if that's the word that you want to use, kind of it's very popular nowadays, pessimism, referring to the last days. I don't, I don't actually think it's, it's pessimism. That's, that's how God says the end is going to go down. But just to better understand views, John Wesley would say I could affirm both uh, you know, optimism and pessimism. He wouldn't use those words. I'm just using those, those words that are more contemporary to understand John Wesley's eschatology. And actually, he says even in verse 5, I was still here. He says um, at the end, second last pair, a sentence, he goes, there is room enough for the fulfilling of all the prophecies and those which before seemed to clash are reconciled. So John Wesley says this is reconciling both verses. How do we reconcile verses that speak of the flourishing of the church versus the apostasy of the church? How do we reconcile those? He goes, particularly those who speak on, on the one hand a most, of a most flourishing state of the church as yet to come, and on the other hand, of the fatal security of men in the last days of the world. Well, John Wesley would say, I'm a dual millennialist. That's how I reconcile those two. And we don't have to hold a, a tension between those, but we can affirm both because there's two millennial periods. So that that's John Wesley's eschatology, um, in um, in a nutshell. You know, for, you know, you know. Further thoughts would would have us um, investigating how how John Wesley combined his soteriology with eschatology. So he believed that that you know through the salvation of men, the gospel is you know expanding, and the kingdom of God is being advanced throughout the world. So you know you know a soteriology is connected to his to his eschatology, you know, and even in terms of entire sanctification. You know, uh, that plays in, into a little bit, you know, the, you know, the sanctification that, that many teaches at the end of the world is actually going to be before the, before the world because it's going to be here and now. So there's a realized eschatology aspect to it. You know, those are more deeper primary issues. But in, in particular, when it comes to the millennial period, John Wesley was not a post-millennialist or, or a premillennialist, not even a millennialist. Rather, he was a dual millennialist. And I think that, that that's important to know because if, if you know, you know, we're going to argue that you know he was a pre-mill or post-mill. That that that's really just going to show that we need to do a little bit more study. And um, now, after learning his view, you know, when I see posts like that, I cringe. I actually even saw a, another post on on Facebook putting various uh, pre-mills in a Facebook cover photo, and and Johann Mengel was even on there as, as a pre-millennialist. And I was again, once again, shaking my head a little, a, a little bit because I know it's actually not the case. So hopefully we uh, uh, we can see John Wesley's and understand you know uh, you know the question was he a premillennialist or postmillennialist and we can say no he was a dual millennialist and I'm actually you know what you know why you know as as I studied this I was actually surprised myself that I never heard this view before and I haven't heard it by much Wesleyan scholars and I'm also you know even more surprised that there aren't contemporary men arguing that you know you know the, uh, the, this view surprised you know you know I, I haven't heard of at least one. You know, you know, to my knowledge, um, I haven't had, uh, you know, the um, or or haven't found any um, any books arguing for dual millennialism. You know, you know, I found some some books that that would explain John Wesley's dual millennialism, but I haven't found any contemporary scholars or more recent scholars arguing for this view. So I was a little bit surprised at that. But you know, whether that's you know you know, you know that means something or not, um, you know, you know, it's neither here nor there. But if you like this video, if you can please subscribe to Method Ministries. Share it. Um, if, if you're listening via podcast, I, I encourage you to do the same. And again, you know, we're trying to teach uh, more Wesleyan doctrines lately and understand Wesley's theology lately. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out, comment. You know, I do my best to to answer. And until next time, we're signing off. And God bless you all.